to, let's see, two passages of Scripture, 1 Timothy 6 and Romans 13. 1 Timothy 6, Romans 13, uh, and we'll introduce where we're headed. Let me say where we're going. You want to know where we're going? Amen. It's good to know where we're going. Uh, in February, we're going to begin to focus uh, on John. In fact, let me just look it up. It's John 7, 30-something. Uh, Mark, Luke, John... Let me read it to you. John 7, verse 37. Jesus said, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying. Now, when was it? The last day of the what? Everyone say feast. Okay, so everybody's been feasting. All right. It's feast time. He said, on the last day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In other words, hey, if all of this feasting hasn't Tended to your real spiritual needs, guess what? You can come to me and I'll provide. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, uh, or, or King James says, innermost being, I kind of like that, out of his innermost being uh, will flow rivers of living water. Everyone say rivers. And uh, then, of course, John goes on to say, but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So in February, we're going to begin to talk about the river, about the the flow of the Holy Spirit in our life and the impact of the Holy Spirit in our life and and yielding ourselves to the flow and the control uh, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so I think it's going to be a good month for us. And how many of you believe in 2012 we need an added anointing and flow of the river in our life? Amen. Uh, everybody look around, tell somebody, we've got to let the river flow. Got to let the river flow. So as is our custom, what we do is when, most of the time, what I share on Sunday morning, we build on on Wednesday night. And that's the same way it's going to be tonight. Tonight, we're going to keep talking, continue talking about uh, the authority of God in our life and uh, living under the control or under the cover of God's authority in our life. Last Sunday, we talked about getting a firm grip on the authority of God. Josh said he listened to the podcast, uh, and uh, so uh, you can do that if you missed. But Sunday morning, we're talking about strengthening our spiritual grip and getting a good firm grip on the things that God would have for us in order to be able to accomplish what he has for us to accomplish in 2012. Tell somebody, we got to get a grip. We really do. In fact, Sunday, I'll finish up that series talking about getting a firm grip on the purpose of God uh, for our life. I'm excited about Sunday. Uh, The second most uh, popular book, best-selling book in the history of the world, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Uh, It uh, it just uh, amazes me that that is the case. But how many of you know people are searching for their purpose? Amen. And we need to get a grip on the purpose of God for our life. And we'll finish up that series and then ease into the river. uh, But tonight, we're going to continue talking about the authority of God in our life. We looked at 1 Timothy chapter 6. I told you to turn there, but I didn't go, so let me get there. 1 Timothy 6, it makes a declaration that I want us all to embrace. Uh, It says in the middle... Uh, of, uh, you know, there's some things we need to watch out for in our life. Verse 10 says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith. In other words, they let go of God's word and will for their life uh, and they strayed from the faith. 
in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How many of you know money is not evil? It's the love of money that causes us to stray from the faith. It's not uh, our, our possessions uh, can't possess us. We've got to possess them and, and take dominion and authority over the resources and be good stewards of God. If we don't, we'll stray from the faith. And he says, but you, O man, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, goodness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. See, he's talking about getting a firm grip on, on the, the call of God and the, and the salvation of God in our life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I like that. You know what? We need to confess the good confession. I am a child of God. I've been bought with a price. I belong to him. I am not my own. All those great uh, eternal kingdom truths. Uh, and he said, you've got to hang on to that. And he said, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. And here's verse 15 is the launching pad once again. He says, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Everyone say he's King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the final authority. He is the ultimate authority. And so it's important, in fact, Paul was trying to get across to Timothy uh, in all of these last uh, minute things that he was hitting here in this letter to him, that, hey, there's a lot of influences in the world that are trying to undermine the purpose of God in your life. And one of the key principles that you need to get a grip on is the authority of God in your life. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so uh, when we do that, uh, things go better uh, as we yield to God's authority in our life. So Sunday we looked at, at, at that quite a bit. What I want to talk about tonight is I just want to build on maybe some of the things we mentioned Sunday. Talk about authority in our life and how, how we need to yield to the authorities of God in our life. I've got a question for you. It's a discussion moment. I want you to think about this. What is the evidence... As we begin to talk about the author, God's direct authority of, uh, of God in our life, what is the evidence of our submission to God's authority? What's the evidence, the outward evidence of our submission to God and his ultimate authority in our life? Our behavior? Pardon me? We bear fruit, right? Think about it, something else. What's the evidence of, of, of our real submission to God? Pardon me? Blessing, right, it's good. Being a part of the local church? Faith, all these are good things. Love, right? How about obedience? Everyone say obedience. All those things are good, but I really think an obedient life and really a, a an obedience from the heart. How many of you know you can obey without a submissive heart? You ever obeyed a command begrudgingly? Your boss tell you something, but you do it, but it's not out of a heart of submission. Am I the only one here tonight? Come on, stay with me. It's group discussion for a moment. So, hey, so it, it's really, in my opinion, uh, the evidence of a submitted heart to God is, is an, 
an, a heart of obedience to God. Let me show you a passage of scripture. I hope you have your Bible ready. Turn over to Romans chapter six. Let me show you this. Romans chapter six. It talks about the fact that we were slaves of sin. We were under the governance and the authority of sin in our life. How many of you know we used to be slaves to sin? You know why people sin now who are born again and and, and love Jesus, why they sin? Not because they have to, but because they want to. You don't have to now. If, If we sin, we do just out of choice. But before we gave our lives to Christ, we were slaves to sin. You know what I mean? All right, so look in Romans chapter 6, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin uh, because we are not under the law but under grace? Everyone say, certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Now, what are we talking about? The evidence of a submitted heart to God. He's talking about obedience leading to righteousness. But look at verse 17. He tells us how that works. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. Everyone say obeyed from the heart. Now, there was a heart issue. You submitted to the authority of God and you obeyed God from the heart. Not because you had to, not because he made you. How many of you know God's not going to come and twist our arm and make us obey? Sometimes we have to require our children to obey. They don't always do it with a happy heart, do they? How many of your kids, when you started telling them they have to clean up their room, they just went, oh, thank you, mom, I love I love to clean my room and I just love to obey my parents. No, it's not their nature and it's not our nature. But he said, we obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were, uh, to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And so tonight, I just want to make that declaration to you that the, what I believe the real evidence of, uh, of a submitted heart to the authority of God in our life, it's not what we say, but what we do, and what we do is born out of what's in our, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and, and what comes, what's in the heart uh, is revealed in the actions of life, and so it's a heart of obedience to God. Now, let me build a little foundation to you about the world we live in. Uh, but I want to make sure you got this thought in your, in your head that the, the real evidence of a submitted heart is an obedient or a submitted life to God is an obedient heart towards God. It says, I want to obey him in every area of my life. I don't, not because I have to, but because I desire to. Now, let me show you something about the world we live in. Turn over to Matthew 24. Jesus is talking about the last days. How many of you know we're living in the last days? I said, how many of you know we're living in the last days? We really are. And, and uh, Jesus was uh, addressing these days and the, and the signs of the times. Everyone say signs of the times. And look in verse 12 of chapter 24, Matthew 24, verse 12. Well, verse 11 to kind of give you a little context. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound... The love of many will do what? Grow cold. One of the signs of the ends or the last days, lawlessness will abound. Everyone say lawlessness. Lawlessness will abound and the love of many 
will grow cold. Now, this word lawlessness is a Greek word. I, I don't know if I can pronounce it. I probably do. It's A-N-O-M-I-A. Anomia or anomia, however you want to say it. I don't know how to speak Greek. But the Greek word basically means for lawlessness, it just means a simple lack of submission to the authority of God. A lack of submission to the authority of God. Now, he's what he's saying in the last days, there will be, and it says, lawlessness will abound. There will be rampant disobedience and a lack of submission to the authority of God in people's life. It's no submission to authority. Now, how many of you know, there's a lot of people who believe in God, They say they love God with all their heart, but they're really not obeying him in their life. They're really not submitted to him in every area of their life. And they live life on their terms. And, 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 And Jesus said in the last days, there's going to be rampant disobedience and rebellion uh, and, and lack of submission to the authority of God in our life. Now, who, what's he talking about? All those nasty sinners out there? No, because he says, and the love of many will grow cold. That word love, you know, there's a, a number of words in the, in the Greek that are translated love. There's phileo. How many of you know phileo is the city of brotherly love? Philadelphia, it's brotherly love. We have phileo for each other. We're, you know, we're bro- we got good brotherly relationships. And then there's a Greek word in the Greek eros which is a physical relationship type of love between a man and a woman and then there's agape love which is really the love that God shows for us for God so agape the world that's a selfless type of love God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son here's that's the word Jesus uses here he says in the last days or in that day uh, because lawlessness will abound a A lack of submission to God's authority will abound. Where is he talking about? In in the church. In God's people. Because that's where the expression of the agape of God is. In its uh, uh, manifestation in the earth. The the agape of many. the The love of God that abides in many will begin to grow cold. Because we are not submitted to the authority of God in our life. That's a, that ought to put the fair God in you right there. Because Jesus looks into the future and he says, one of the signs of the times is in God's people, there will be a lack of submission to the authority of God. And it will cause that love relationship between God and man to begin to dr- grow cold. All the more reason for us to embrace and, and latch a hold of and take a hold of the, our, the submission to the authority of God in our life. In fact, 1 John 3, 4, you don't need to turn there. He said, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Same word. And then he says, and sin is lawlessness. Sin is a lack of submission to God's authority in our life. And really, how many of you know all sin? That you, you, when we think of sin, you know, what do we think of? Murder. Rape, lust, those sins. I think of a parable of Jesus. I, I can't put my finger on where it was. 
but three people came to him and uh, uh, or the invitation went out to come to the marriage to, to the to the supper to, and uh, some said well I'd love to but I have this excuse and that excuse they were all pretty valid excuses you would think well I got I just bought five oxen uh, and I've got to go take care of them and you know nothing none of them sounded sinful uh, but how many of you know, uh, you know, the parable was teaching an eternal truth. In other words, hey, if we're going to really serve God, we've got to submit to his authority and follow in his direction and yield to his will in our life. Uh, and so it says that sin is lawlessness. In other words, the root core of sin is a lack of submission to the authority of God in our life. You got it? Look at your neighbor and say, you got it? You got it? I'm trying to build something in you here. Uh, and so... Simply put, you know, when we think of sin, we think of all these other, you know, terrible things. But how many of you know the, 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 those sins that, we, that I listed, they're really a result of the first sin in our heart that led us that direction, a lack of submission to the authority of God in our life. Because if we were under the authority of God in our life, we would not do those things, right? So that's kind of the root of sin in our life that we need to understand. In fact, James said this, James 1.22, he said, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so we saw in the Jesus, Matthew 24, the end times, it's a deceptive day when the love of many will grow cold because they are not submitted to the authority of God. And here James comes along. He says, you've got to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer, deceiving yourselves. How many of you know people that live in that kind of mode? Hey, they, they, hey I hear it. Amen. Great preaching. You know, woo, great worship, good church, good fellowship, but no real submission and obedience to the authority of God in their life. And they become deceived. How many of you know self-deception is some of the worst deception? You know, we think of the devil, the deceiver, the brethren. But how many of you know sometimes he doesn't need our help? You know, uh, we don't need his help. We just deceive ourselves. And so embrace this reality that is so important for us to live our lives absolutely wholeheartedly submitted to God's direct authority in our life. Yielded to his governance and guidance. And as Paul told Timothy there in 1 Timothy chapter 6, understand something. He's the only potentate in your life. He's the final authority, the king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. I love what Revelation says. I think it's Revelations 4. It says that God has made us kings and priests to our God. How many of you know we have authority and we rule and reign in life, but he is our ultimate authority. We've got to embrace that with our whole heart. We can't be half-heartedly submitted to God and his plan for our life. We've got to embrace his authority in every area of our life, his direct authority. He is in charge of my life. Amen. Now, that's part one, God's direct authority in our life. But there's a second outcropping of being submitted to God's direct authority, and that is yielding to God's delegated authorities in our life. Look to Romans 13, verses 1, and we'll read quite a few verses here. But uh, turn to Romans, uh, and uh, let me show you this. How many of you know Paul the Apostle was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he wrote the book of Romans? Amen, he really was. All scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable for doctrine, uh, for reproof, for training in righteousness. Did I say Romans 13? 
I thought I said Romans 10. It's Romans 13. Let me just, I'm going to read to you the first seven verses, even though your notes say one through three. Hey, just embrace. Let me, let me read this to you. Paul says, let every soul be subject. Everyone say subject. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. How many of you know that's a mouthful? I said, how many of you know that's a mouthful? No exceptions. He goes on to say, therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Wow. I'm talking about, I'm just, he's just shooting right straight down the middle here. He's not saying, well, maybe so, maybe not. There's some... He just declares some truth here about authority, and we'll talk about that more. But let me just kind of give you some more context here. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister. Everyone say, God's minister. He's talking about authorities. God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject. Everyone say subject. Not only because of wrath, but, because, but, but also for conscience sake. In other words, you're, you're subject not just because of the consequences of rebellion, but for your personal inner conscience to, to satisfy the, the character of God in your life in a sense. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to, their, to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due. So he's talking about delegated authorities in our life. Now, Romans chapter 13, primarily talking about civil government here. But how many of you know this principle of authority transcends civil government, as you can see through Scripture? There's basically in Scripture, I see four types of delegated authorities in our life. You may want to write these down. The first one, of course, is civil government. Governors, mayors, presidents, congressmen, those kind of things. In fact, hold your place there in Romans 13 because we're coming back. I noticed something in 1 Peter this afternoon. Turn over to 1 Peter. I want to show you this. How many know Peter learned authority? He really did. But what did Peter do? Uh, You know, and he he didn't understand delegated. He didn't understand God's authority in his life. And so, uh, you know, he rebelled. He missed the mark. He, He wasn't submitted to the authority of God. He rebuked Jesus. He denied the Lord. And so he came to a place of some real revelation in his life. And I noticed in 1 Peter, really in 1 Peter, Peter had really embraced the authority of God in his life. And he, um, and he shares with us in this book the four, it's in other places, of course, in Scripture, but he shares the four types of delegated authority in Scripture. Here they are, civil, the church government, family. How many of you know family has government within it and authority? And then social. By, meaning, by social, I mean jobs, bosses, teachers, coaches, all those people that God puts in our life, all of them and all four of these areas of, of delegated authority in our life, God places delegated authorities in our life, just like Romans 13 said. And Peter, got, he got a grip on this. Let me show you. Are you in First Peter? Here we go. 
let me show you civil government in First Peter chapter two, verse thirteen. Look what he says here. Uh, he says, "Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme." Or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Kind of the same thing we heard in Romans 13. There Peter embraced and understood the priority and the understanding. We've got to be submitted to the civil government in our land. And then he talks about church government. Look in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He's talking to leaders and and people of authority in the church. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. How many of you know that's government? That's authority. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, there's authority appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And then look in verse five, likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders and yea, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility. He's talking about church government, but he also hits family government. Look in, uh, look in first Peter chapter three, verse one, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husband's that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word might be won by the conduct of their wives. Let me put it, y'all want to put it on pause a second? Everybody put it on pause. Let me tell you a story. Just thought about it. Back in Quitman, when I was pastoring in Quitman, I had a lady in my church who, very faithful, loved Jesus with all her heart, but her husband was not a Christian, wasn't walking in the will of God, and it was always pray for my husband, pray for my husband. Pray for my husband. Well, lo and behold, God touches her husband. He comes to church. He's gloriously saved. He begins to plug into the church. He begins to grow in Christ and begins to learn about being the kind of man God wants him to be. And all of a sudden, there became problems in the home because a wife didn't know how to really follow through with this kind of principle. And they ultimately got divorced. It was bizarre to me. It was because... All her life long, she never really had submitted to her old cranky husband. And, and uh, you know, pray for him, you know, pray. Boy, and when God answered her prayer, all of a sudden she got what she wanted, but she didn't want what she got. Have you ever got what you wanted, but didn't want, want what you got? Oh, I got it, but now I don't know if I, got, I want it. Uh, and so, hey, Peter says, hey, there's, there's, there's government in the family. And, uh, oh, there's a lot more here, but I, I just wanted you to see that and uh, you know, verse seven, and it says, husbands likewise dwell with them with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together, the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Uh, and so there's, there's government in the family. And then of course he hits social government, which is jobs, bosses, teachers, coaches, so on and so forth. It's in first Peter chapter two, verse 18. He says, servants be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Everyone say also to the harsh. That's an important passage because we'll talk about that later. In other words, just because they don't have it all together doesn't mean we are not to be submitted in our hearts to the authorities God gave us. Are you with me? And so, four types of government. Now, you got it? Here we go. Go back to, first, go back to uh, uh, Romans 13. I want to read those two verses again at the, at the beginning. Then I'm going to give you two important truths for you to embrace. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Two important truths. I'm hammering them. I just want want you to see them on the screen. All authority is established and appointed by God. That's what he said in that passage, right? All authority. Everyone say all authority. And And who should be submitted to these delegated authorities? Everyone, everyone say, every soul. Look at your neighbor and says, that includes you and it includes me. Let every soul be subject to these authorities in our life. All authority is established and appointed by God. And then the second thing I want you to see and embrace, to rebel against delegated authority is to rebel against God. That's what he said. In fact, it says you're going to bring judgment on yourself. I'm convinced that a lot of people are walking under the, they're, 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 wrong, they're walking under the judgment or the displeasure of God because they're hung up in this area about authority in their life. They got a rebellious itch that they cannot seem to deal with and that they, they live on the verge of, 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 of absolute, uh, uh, you know, insurrection all the time. They're just always in conflict with delegated authorities. I hear people all the time, Pastor, pray for me. My boss, oh, he's just a terrible person. Man, they, said, they just go to mumbling about the boss. How many of you know God hears that? Did only Ray understand? How many of you know God hears that? It's really true. They are God's delegated authorities. And how many of you know they don't need to be saved to be delegated authorities? Are you with me? If you get stopped by a police officer today and when he's at home, he kicks the dog and cusses his wife and beats the kids. But when he stopped you, he had the badge of the city of Beaumont. How many of you know he's God's delegated authority for you? Even if he's doing all those bad things at home or whatever, when, hey, from our standpoint, he's God's delegated authority. And just because he kicks the dog and cusses his wife and beats the kids does not mean he has lost his authority in our eyes. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, uh, hey, that's what it's... I mean, you know, that's what these two big... And let me just say, if we could embrace these two things, life would change for us. Now, I'm going to answer some of the big questions here in just a moment. But, hey, if we could embrace this, this reality of authority, let me just throw this out. How many of you know God, if he appoints them, he can bring them down. He can replace them because he's king of kings and Lord of lords. Are you with me? So embracing these two truths is a powerful thing for us to understand that, hey, if we, if we resist the delegated authorities in our life, we resist God. I got one more story. My dad was not a very spiritual man. But he had some things down. And this is one of them. And I learned this from him as a seventh grader. In a profound way. I was in English class one day. And Mrs. Pruitt was my teacher. And Robert Stinnett, my friend, was in the row next to me. And he looked over at me and he said, look what I've got. And he showed me 
the biggest, fattest, meanest rubber band I had ever seen. It was, I, I don't know what it was made for. It was an abnormal rubber band. And I went, wow, let me see that. And he flipped it over on my desk and I'm going, man. And then when I got through inspecting it, I did not shoot a rubber band. I'm a legalist, you see. And I, I just flipped, just pitched it back over to his desk. And at that time, Miss Pruitt saw the last few milliseconds of my action. And she said, Sam Walker, I need you to write me 50 sentences. I will not shoot rubber bands in class. And I said, Miss Pruitt, I'm sorry. I was trying to be nice. I didn't shoot a rubber band. I just kind of pitched it back over there. I need 50 sentences. I saw you. You shot rubber bands in class. Now, she, in my mind, was wrong, and I was right. And so, I said to myself, I'm not writing sentences. The next day, where's the sentences? I didn't shoot rubber band in class, and I'm not writing the sentences. She said, it's 100 Now you have to write a hundred. By the time she walked down the hall a few days later to talk to my mother who worked in the office, I was in the thousands. How many of you know there's the power of multiplication? I was in the thousands. And so I had been found out and my father called me into his in somewhere and he said how come you didn't write the sentences and I told him I didn't do it he said I'm going to wear you out and my dad believed in the power of the belt he believed in the power of spool the rods spare the rods, spool the child and, you know he's I mean he's written and buddy I said dad I didn't do it he said son I'm not whipping you because you didn't write the sentences. I'm whipping you because you didn't obey your teacher. Like I should have known that. Behind closed door, he thought it was silly that I was supposed to be writing sentences. And he, he told her, said, you just, if my son disobeys you, you just whip his B-U-double-T. I don't know if he said it that way. And so he made Miss Pruitt, who was not, didn't believe in capital punishment, he made her whip me too. To cover. I didn't have to write the sentences. He made her whip me. Uh, and so I'm sure she learned something too. But man, I walked away from there going, whoa, I got this one. My dad, he taught me a lesson. And, and I remember that all my life when it comes to, hey, even harsh or, 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 or leadership that's that's maybe a little off or whatever. Hey, they're God's delegated authorities. And so let me show you two, let me show you two big words here in these two verses here. The first one is subject. It says, let every soul be subject. Everyone say subject. It's a military term. To, it means to arrange and form an order under the command of a leader. We have a military man here. I'm sure when it's time, uh, when authorities walk in the room at certain times, there is a protocol, correct? I mean, you, you are, you're to line up, you're to stand up. I couldn't do it. I, I, I might offend the military uh, uh, protocol here. But, uh, you know, 
what, what Paul was saying here, this principle is so serious, you need to embrace it from a military mindset. And how many of you know in the military, uh, insubordination can put you in prison? If you disobey authority, if you rebel against authority, there are great consequences. Because how many of you know, there's a lot at stake in a military world we live in. Every man is not to his own devices. And I can just, man, the illustrations would just go wild with me. When someone is, you know, nowadays standing, sitting behind computers with the capacity to launch, you know, nuclear missiles and and smart bombs into places, they hear orders that come. They don't know why the orders came, but uh, I'm still supposed to punch the button. I've got to obey. Why? There's a lot at stake. I've got to line up and form an order under the command of a leader. It's a military term. Let every soul be submitted, be subject, line up. Yes, sir. Wow. And that just kind of brings it home, does it not? You know what most people's attitude is? I'll submit, I'll follow along as long as I agree. Isn't that the truth? And they call that submission. Oh, I agree with that. I can submit to that. Did you know submission doesn't really start till you come to a place where you don't agree? Did you get that? You're not, the test of submission is not when everything's going just the way you want it. It's when things go against the way you desire, the way you want. That's the real test of submission. When the order comes down that goes contrary to what you feel, think, or believe in your heart uh, or, or what you desire to do in your life. And so that's the real test. It doesn't begin until there's a disagreement. When, hey, I'm lining up because I'm a man or a woman under the authority of God. The next big word is appointed. It says all authorities, there is no authorities except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That word means to assign, to ordain, to set. How many of you know when God ordains something, it's there? You get it? That's a powerful word. God says, this is the way it's going to be. I'm setting this thing in place. These are, these are my authorities. I'm delegating these authorities. I'm putting them in position. And hey, and if I set them there, they're there. And they'll be there till I remove them. Are you with me? Say amen. Those are two big words. And we've got to, that ought to help us embrace these two big truths that all authority is established and appointed by God and to rebel against delegated authority is rebel against God. Now, I got a little bit. The big question that we all ask is this. Okay, preacher, what about that harsh, unholy, and cruel leader? How do I submit myself to that? Well, we already learned back over in Peter that, hey, just because... Leadership is harsh doesn't mean we're not submitted. Just because leaders don't line up with the way we think they need to be doesn't mean we have a pass-go when it comes to submission in our heart. Right? Let me give you some examples. Pharaoh. Everybody remember Pharaoh? Everybody remember Pharaoh? What did Pharaoh do when he heard about 
the potential of, a, of, of Moses being born. What did he do? He, he put out the command to do what? Kill all the male children. Now, how many of you know, that's a harsh, cruel leader, right? Interesting thing about Pharaoh, and if we had a little time, we could, in fact, let me just kind of throw out a few verses. You're in Romans. Look back over in Romans 9, verse 17. He quotes a scripture out of Exodus about Pharaoh. It's a, it's a quotation of Exodus 9, 16. And here it is. For the scripture says to, to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up. Wait a minute. God put Pharaoh in the place he was, this evil, mean, unholy, harsh, unruly leader who was, who was a murderer and, 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 and brought heartache through the Jewish uh, 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 nation because of the under uh, the murder of all the firstborn children, it says God raised him up. He said that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. So we find that God put Pharaoh in the place he was supposed to be. Now, why did he do that? He had a plan. Remember Abraham? Abraham got a promise from God. Abraham's the, the father of our faith and the, the beginning of the Jewish uh, uh, nation. And God gave him a promise that he'd have a son and his seed would be as the sand of the sea. And you know that promise in Genesis 15. And, and uh, he gave him this big promise. But then he says to him, as Abraham embraced the promise, he says in verse 13, but let me tell you, your seed, which will just be phenomenally huge, it'll be, you know, massive, They'll be in bondage. See, God had a plan. He told Abram right up front that your, your, the future generations are going to be in bondage in Egypt. Maybe that's why he needed a Pharaoh. See, God has a plan. And see, understand, we can stop right there. See, in, in our finite mind, we look in the, from, right, you know, just, you know, in the little world around us, and we don't see what's ahead, and we don't see what God's doing, and all we can see is, is, is our boss being uh, unfair to us. Or our husband being such a jerk. Or our pastor being so insensitive and uncaring. I can't imagine that, but it's possible. And we don't see the bigger picture. I had someone actually get offended me about leave the church years ago because I snubbed them in the, in the hall somewhere. And they thought I was literally snubbing them. And when it finally came out, of course, it was hard for me to remember. And then I went back and I, rem- I was able to remember that there was something so consuming my mind about somebody or something that I, had, I was on a mission. And I, I wasn't clued into anybody around me. It wasn't, you know, and so people, but what do people do? They look at their little world. They don't see the big picture. And Pharaoh, there was a much bigger picture. And it says, hey, your seed's going to be in, in bondage for years. And so Isaac was born, the son of promise, and Isaac had 12 sons. And his favorite son was who? 
favorite son was the little one. Had the coat of many colors. And little Joseph, his brothers were jealous of him and they sold him into bondage under who? Pharaoh. And lo and behold, little Joseph went from slavery to second in command only under Pharaoh. And God used Joseph to spare the Jewish nation and the Jewish seed from whence Jesus Christ would be born. The big picture was God used Pharaoh. And even though he wasn't the nicest guy on the block, God used him and it says God set him in place. And how many of you know that's the perspective we all need in life. And God can deal with the Pharaohs of our life. And if we see things from a bigger picture, this kind of fits the bigger picture. I have a friend of mine by the name of Marcos Witt who in the Hispanic-speaking uh, cultures and the nations of the world, he's very, 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 very popular. He has 2 million likes on Facebook and 300-something thousand Twitter followers. He's a very influential guy. And he told me this story the other day at our missions conference. He said, I got on a plane. He said, I normally get bumped up to first class because of all the miles I give. I I don't book first class, but because of, you know, the elite status of my travel, I nearly always get first class. So I don't have to pay first class, but usually ride first class. But since I was coming home from Buenos Aires, and uh, he didn't get bumped up as a pack. And so he, he said, I was back there with everybody else. And so he's trying to, and, you know, be patient and kind. And he sits down and this boisterous guy comes up and reaches up into the overhead and jerks his little bag with his laptop out and throws it on the floor and starts griping about the fact that's supposed to be, is that yours? You're supposed to be under the chair and this is for the bigger luggage and Marco said, there is a lot of things that I felt like I should say and bump up against this guy. But he said, no. He said, I just said, hey, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, that's my bag and that's where I put it. And then he said, lo and behold, he sat right next to me. talking about the bigger picture he could have reacted and he would have had a right to react and to resist this guy and to call the flight attendants and have this guy ejected he said he sat down next to him and about 20 minutes into the flight he said man I'm sorry I don't know what I was thinking I just I just overreacted Marco said I said that's okay, no problem. So then he pulls out his iPod. And he said, I can see he's scrolling through music. And then he said, I see something look familiar. And he scrolled through his iPod to one of Marcos's albums that he had on his iPod. And he said, is that you? He said, yes, it was. And then he said, I was so glad. I didn't react 
See, the bigger picture, even when it comes to people who are harsh and unholy, especially leaders in our life, Pharaoh, God uses them in our life, and ultimately for his purpose and plan. He uses harsh, unholy, and unruly leaders, delegated authorities. And so we can understand all authority has been delegated by God. And he who resists authority resists God and brings judgment on themselves. Another illustration, Herod Agrippa, Acts chapter 12. Look over there quickly. I'm going to give you some good stuff here in the end, but let me just show you this. Acts chapter 12, this was another harsh, unholy, ungodly authority. And it says about him in Acts 12, verse 1 and 2, uh, it says this. Now, about the time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. How many of you know that's a harsh, unholy, unruly leader? He's, he's persecuting the church. You get it? But look down in verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, Sidon but they came to him with one accord and having made blastus the king's personal aid. Oh, am I? Re- yeah, yeah, here we go. Uh, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal peril, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But verse 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. See, God deals with those authorities. He has his way. Everyone say he has his way. But you know what? His ultimate purpose was continuing on. The word of God grew and multiplied. Amen. Now, you got it? Now, here's another question. When is the only time... We are not to obey delegated authorities. Pardon me? Absolutely. The only time we disobey delegated authorities in our life, when it goes contrary to God's written word in our life. If it goes contrary to the way we feel, think, or or, or desire, that's irrelevant. But if it goes against God's word in our life and God's will and, and, and his, his written word in our life, that's when we have the capacity with yet a submitted heart to authority to disobey delegated authorities in our life. In fact, it happened in Acts uh, chapter 4 when the delegated authorities uh, told Peter and the, and the church, you quit talking in this name. It says, uh, but verse 17, but that it spreads no father among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no one in this name, speaking of the name of Jesus. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. In other words, the delegated authorities in their life, the religious rulers of the day says, you cannot do this. Peter and John, and now let me just say, when I read this, I can almost hear their submitted heart, but their disobedience to the command. 
Listen to what they say. So they called them and said, don't teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. He said, I'll let you be the judge of this, whether it's right or right. But we're just going to have to just lovingly, caringly disobey that order. He goes on to say, they, threatened, they further threatened them and they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. So for the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And so we see them disobeying that direct authority. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You got a bow to the gods. No, we're not going to do it. Well, you're going to burn. Well, throw us in because we're not going to... We're not going to disobey the authority of God in our life. We're going to have to disobey you. Daniel as well in the lion's den. When he knew the decree that you can't uh, uh, worship any other God than the God of of, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, what did he do? Knowing that the decree was signed, it says that Daniel, with his windows open to the city, he bowed and he prayed to God and worshiped God, just as was his custom since early years. And he directly disobeyed delegated authorities in his life. And how many of you know, in both cases, and really in all those three cases, with the disciples there in Acts chapter 4, with Nebuchadnezzar, pardon me, with the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, in all cases, God... Uh, uh, honored them for their their willingness to stand against rogue delegated authority that was trying to get them to disobey the direct command of God in their life. Now, let's close. We here's kind of a here's my rule of thumb when it comes to what I just shared with you. Submission is absolute. Obedience is relative. Everyone say submission is absolute. Obedience is relative. No, we should always be absolutely submitted to the delegated authorities in our life. But our capacity to obey them is relative to the situation of whether or not they're leading us contrary to God's word uh, or not. And so that's, that's, the, that's kind of the, the balance of it all. Because when you start talking about submission, you start talking about submitting to authorities that are rude, crude, and socially unfittable. People get all bristly inside. And you know why? Because we don't have a submitted heart. We can still obey, uh, be submitted from the heart, but disobey delegated authority in our life if it is contrary to God's direct word in our life. Now, with that in mind, we still, I'm going to say this carefully, can exert authority over authority. But it's in a place of submission to authority. Would you like me to explain that? In other words, if we have authorities in our life that are faltering or need adjusting, How many of you know we have the power over that in the spirit realm? Look in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let me show it to you. I hear all those pages turning. 1 Timothy chapter 2. What does Paul say about 
us and authorities in our life. And I love what it, the way he says it. Therefore, hmm. gosh, there's a lot of context here I could get into. Uh, gosh, he's talking about the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, to him be glory forever. And, and uh, there's, a, there's so much here, but look in chapter two, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, I exert, exhort first of all, I'm going to say first of all, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, that's a mouthful right there. But in the context of this authority uh, picture we're telling you, he said, hey, let me tell you first of all, if you really want to make, really make a difference in the world around you, hey, you, you saturate uh, uh, the authorities of God in your life uh, uh, with the prayer and you intercede, you supplicate and you pray and you give thanks for those people. And guess what? God will see that and you'll, you'll begin to, uh, the blessing of God, you'll lead a quiet and peaceable life. And guess what? God's blessed by that. That's good and acceptable inside of, of, of our God. And look at verse four. He tells you kind of uh, in, a, in, a, in a roundabout way what the potential benefit is that he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In other words, through our prayer and intercession for authorities in our life, God can open a window of opportunity and a door for them to be born again. You see, the reason we might be under some unrighteous, unholy, harsh and mean-spirited, uncaring leaders, it may not be because God just wants to torment us or teach us our lesson, but he may have us there for their ultimate salvation. That's the bigger picture, is it not? Amen. Wow. That's true. And so we can exert authority in the spirit through the power of prayer. And God can change authority by our prayers and covering them and giving of thanks. Again, I've, I've had people come and they, they can't say anything nice about their boss. I say, you need to thank God you have a job and thank God you have a boss. Because if you didn't have a boss, you wouldn't have a job. Really? Giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. And it says, verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And God looks down and he sees that attitude in us. He said, that's good. I like that. You're embracing the authority of God in your life, both directly and indirectly. Amen. And how many of you know that understanding that is a key that will unlock the blessings of God in your life in greater measure than ever before? Let me re, reaffirm a book that I would like you to read. And I, I don't actually have a copy of it. We actually did this in video. It's John Bevere's book called Undercover. If you want to delve off into this in greater measure, it wouldn't hurt you or me a bit. 
In fact, I've thought about doing the series here, but it's 12 weeks. It really takes a pretty strong commitment to go through this series by way of DVD. Uh, and so at this moment, we don't have it on the docket. But I would love, if you, if you want to delve off into this principle uh, in greater measure uh, than ever before, read that book. It's a power. There's a lot of other good books on, on delegated authorities in our life, but, but that's a really good book. And so I encourage you to do that. Uh, amen. How many of you want your family? understand delegated authority and the authority of God in their life. Amen. So important that we model it for them. And my dad modeled it for me well when he said, son, I'm not, I'm not disciplining you because you disobeyed or because you shot rubber band in class. I'm disciplining you because you did not obey authority. Wow. Revelation to that little teenage boy. Let's stand up together. Thank you, Lord. You may be a delegated authority here.